0: Welcome to Policy Guns and Money, the ASPE podcast. I'm David Rowe. With the AUKUS Optimal Submarine Pathway now unveiled, there are big plans, big promises, and a lot of work to do. Why do we need AUKUS? How do we improve information sharing while reducing barriers to technology cooperation? What are the opportunities for additional partners, including the quad? And how is all of this being explained to the public? To dissect these questions and more, ASPE has been holding a trilateral AUKUS dialogue in Washington, D.C., with the Centre for a New American Security and the Centre for Grand Strategy at King's College London. Our Executive Director Justin Bassey took time on the sidelines to record this special podcast episode with CNAS Chief Executive Richard Fontaine and Indo-Pacific Security Program Director Lisa Curtis along with KCL's Professor of War and Strategy in East Asia, Alessio Patelano.
1: Well it's great to be in Washington DC and to be involved in this special podcast for the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, the Centre for New American Security and Centre for Grand Strategy at King's College London. I'm joined today by Richard Fontaine and Lisa Curtis from CNAS and Alessio Pantalano, Professor of War and Strategy in East Asia at King's College. Uh, It's great to be here at uh, the CNA offices. Uh, Richard, Lisa, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we've been focused this week on AUKUS, the trilateral defense and security partnership between our three countries that sets the pathway for future nuclear submarines and broader technological collaboration. To reflect the importance of AUKUS, our institutions formed a trilateral dialogue to look at AUKUS challenges and opportunities And we've just co hosted the second iteration here in Washington, D.C. And given the announcement just last week of the AUKUS submarine pathway, which laid out a phased approach to AUKUS collaboration on submarines, it's a timely discussion. While there's lots of interest in the specific capabilities associated with nuclear submarines, just as important is to go through the strategic need for AUKUS. Mm. The most important question raised is why have the three countries formed AUKUS? Richard, you wrote in October last year. That, quote, as a starting point, AUKUS should prompt a philosophical shift in how the US, UK and Australian governments think about technology controls, allied collaboration and trust. Can you take us through these elements and why in 2023 we are now in a different strategic position than we were only five or 10 years ago?
2: Yeah, the main dominant factor I think of the strategy and strategic picture in the indo-pacific is the deterioration in the military balance away from the United States and its allies and toward China this has started some years ago but certainly has accelerated in the past five or seven years you can look at almost any index of of might on either side you can look at the growth of the number of. US ships versus the number of, of Chinese uh, surface vessels and undersea capabilities you can look at the growth of Chinese missiles you can look at now they're expanding nuclear arsenal you can look at their development of hypersonics and their broader military modernization so the advantages of geography combined with the uh, growth of the Chinese military technology and just sheer numbers have put us in a position in which the strategic balance in the Indo-Pacific is shifting in a way that is not good for uh, preservation of the regional order uh, certainly along the lines that we would like to see that order uh, preserved. And so, of course, the question is, what do you do about it? And for all of its various virtues, AUKUS is one answer to what do you do about it, which is to combine our technological and defense resources uh, among three trusted partners and to develop and deploy additional allied defense capability in the region where it matters most than would have been possible without AUKUS, and in order to do that, that takes a lot of time and takes a lot of mental shifts about how we think about the nature of technology sharing and and uh, and how we work together. But I think that's the underlying rationale here: is to try to right the military balance in the in this very important region.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that AUKUS is uh, one answer uh, yeah, to not, uh, not the only one, yeah. but it's a, it's a really important one. Uh, Lisa, uh, have you got a view on? Uh, how, uh, what needs to happen to actually ensure uh, that uh, AUKUS, uh, as an answer, uh, is successful?
3: Well, I think there are many things that we need to focus on. We we crossed a major milestone with the optimal pathway announcement last week, but that doesn't mean that there are many obstacles still to cross. And I think, you know, firstly, uh, we haven't heard a lot about Pillar 2 which is a a very important pillar in terms of enhancing our cooperation on advanced capabilities, hypersonics, undersea capabilities. These need to move forward as well, because as we've seen, the Delivery of the submarines will happen, you know, uh, a long time from now, you know, several years, I guess, seven years from now, we'll we'll see the, the first submarines delivered the Virginia class submarines, and then another several years, until Australia actually is producing its own nuclear powered submarines. So in the meantime, we need to make sure that we have progress on the pillar two, advanced capabilities, because the the threat is already there. Uh, Chinese capabilities have have moved forward, um, and as Richard just described, you know we're facing this more complicated, more severe threat in the region that is not waiting around. So, so we need to show that this trilateral partnership is. Producing deterrence in very tangible ways. And I think there are there is a narrative issue. There is a lot of misunderstanding. There is one line of thinking that somehow AUKUS is contributing to militarizing the region. Mm. It's exactly the opposite. Uh, AUKUS is about deterrence and it's about maintaining order, maintaining peace and stability so that other countries don't feel emboldened to uh, become more aggressive and conduct aggressive activities. So th- this needs to be explained. Um, and then there are legislative changes that mm-hmm. need to happen in all three countries to be able to you know, really carry forward this new trilateral partnership where we're sharing um, advanced capabilities. We're increasing information sharing, so there, there still are a lot of steps that need to be taken to to make AUKUS a tangible, effective uh, reality.
1: Yeah, I think your comment there that AUKUS is about deterrence and maintaining peace and stability is so crucial. It's so easy in discussions to immediately t- just talk about conflict. What happens if there is conflict? Who wins a conflict? Uh, your point has come through our discussions this week that the narrative needs to be that AUKUS is, in being an answer, as Richard said earlier, it's an answer to how we can avoid conflict. Uh, so uh, that your uh, narrative conundrum uh, is a, a really important one and it goes to the very heart of uh, what the strategy is from our three countries. Uh, uh, Alessio, uh, one of the reasons that your institute has so much influence in the UK is uh, its focus and your focus on on grand strategy. One of your colleagues, the co-director, Maeve Ryan, has written that grand strategy can capture a conscious attempt to look beyond the confines of short-term requirements of national defence or day-to-day immediate foreign policy and to to the pursuit of national interests in a more systematic and synchronised way. So in an environment where the day-to-day urgent can often outweigh Hmm. the important, uh, how do you see AUKUS fitting uh, within grand strategy?
4: When it comes to the UK, the process that led to the publication of the Integrated Review in 2021, and more recently, in fact, on the same day of the Santiago announcement of the Integrated Review refresh at 23, was very much an effort in trying to set the handrails to guide the British foreign policy action in a way that not only have coordination among different bodies, the Foreign Office, the Ministry of Defence, international trade, you need to take this in an integrated approach um, uh, from, from, from a national perspective. But in order to do so, you need to sort of set out the fundamental principles upon which action will be, which will be redefined on the needs of the day through deliverables that can change over time, and uh, can be pursued. And in this respect, AUKUS meets three fundamental concepts that were articulated both in the integrated review and restated uh, even more strongly in the Refresh 23. One is the UK choice as a sovereign nation to enhance its security posture through collective action. That is a fundamental point in terms of um, how it focuses the energy of how to get your capacity for agency in international affairs. AUKUS is a manifestation of that. It's about negotiating and working with trusted partners. And, and and Richard made a very important point earlier on about this idea that you can only achieve AUKUS through the utmost sense of trust. We're talking about one of the most sensitive, if not the most sensitive, piece of capability that any country uh, can possess. So Understanding and giving this principle of collective action as a sovereign choice is a powerful principle to drive action across departments. And the other two, I can mention them, the uh, second one very briefly, because again, it's a point by Lisa and, and Richard mentioned, is about the role that technology will continue to have in setting the pace of transformation of our defence and, and military infrastructure. And we need to understand that the link between technology and national security, not just uh, uh, as a narrow sort of piece of kit that will be introduced um, in a particular element of our uh, military apparatus. It is about the science base that empowers these solutions to come about. Again, a very important principle. And and, and again, Pillar 2 in particular in AUKUS is very much about understanding what areas of current technology and science and research in science will define the way in which warfare will change in the future. All of this to empower us with, if you want, an edge, a strategic advantage. You need to state that principle so the different departments of government, from, from research, education, science, international trade, they can all coordinate their action in this respect. And last thing is maritime. For me, the most fundamental point that the the integrated Review brought about was a fundamental shift in the way in which the UK understands its role as a security stakeholder in Europe and internationally and contributing to the stability of the international maritime order whether it is the North Atlantic the Eastern Mediterranean or indeed the South China Sea and the East China Sea these all go together 90% of our goods by value and volume travel at sea The 97 to 98% of the data that makes us an an advanced economy uh, rest on underwater sea cables. These principles are not just about the Euro-Atlantic. They are about the stability that the matter order brings internationally and then filters down specifically to the UK. These three notions, I think, underpin this link between grand strategy and where the UK is when it comes to AUKUS. That's very
1: good. And definitely from an Australian perspective, one of the benefits of AUKUS uh, is that for many, uh, it cements the US into the Indo-Pacific uh, for uh, uh, generations to come. The matter, the priorities in in Europe and, and the Middle East. Uh, Alessio is uh, to stick with you for the moment. Uh, is AUKUS also recognition, as you're saying, from the UK that the security so important to the UK um, through the transatlantic? is absolutely impacted by security and stability in the Indo-Pacific?
4: I think the events of the last year in particular, and oddly enough, the war in Ukraine contributed to cement the idea. And of course, there are still some measure of disagreements in in the political landscape, but I think there is overall an overarching agreement that the convergence between Russia and China at the strategic level, the fact that the polar regions and the Arctic inevitably link the uh, sort of northeast Asian sector to the North Atlantic, and indeed China's influence as part of that conversation with Russia in places like the Middle East, the part of the Western Indian Ocean, relationship with India, all of this cannot be entirely disentangled. They're all part of a bigger picture. And so in an age of contested geopolitical uh, attempts at uh, fundamentally append international order as we know it, led by the United States and the system that delivered the third United States and its allies, stability and prosperity for the last seven years, 70 years, you cannot possibly have an argument in which you say, well, the Euro Atlantic is the only thing that matters. That conversation is over. And and it's 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 incredibly interesting how the convergence between Russia and China unfolding from the war in Ukraine made it much more Glaring the necessity, not only to acknowledge that the Euro Atlantic and Indo Pacific are uh, interrelated with each other, but in doing so, it liberated energy to focus on okay, so what would be our best way to contribute, and bearing in mind that the Euro Atlantic space is our priority, is the backyard, is, is 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 home. You can't change that. You can't move the British Isles somewhere else. So that's 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 a given but it liberated energy to have the conversation, okay, that being true, what is the contribution that we can make in that conversation with our partners in order to provide yeah. meaningful uh, role elsewhere? Yeah. And you talk about the trust uh, among partners being so important and uh,
1: some things changing over time. Part of the reason that we often don't see a stre- uh, long-term strategy can be partisanship uh, across our countries. With AUKUS, uh, there may be a great opportunity. Clearly, we have bipartisanship across the three governments and systems right now. Uh, a question for all of you uh, is whether there's confidence that one of the strengths of the partnership is that it is now baked into the system and will stand the test of time, regardless of changes to our respective governments or fluctuations in our economic situations. Uh, the US and UK have uh, elections coming up in the next year or so. Uh, Richard, to you first, can Australia and the UK have confidence that AUKUS uh, will withstand political change?
2: You count on the United States. Um, <laughs> that's a that question we get a lot in various forms, which I know is not exactly your question, but there's a, a little bit of an echo in that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a bit of an uncertainty premium when it comes to American politics, as you may have observed in the last uh, few years. We don't know exactly where things are going to go. Um, but I would say that if anything, generates a consensus across Republicans and Democrats and administrations and Congress and everything else. It's the notion that we are in um, a highly competitive relationship with China over the long run, that the rise of Chinese power is a major challenge for U.S. national security, probably the foremost challenge, and that uh, we need to take steps uh, quickly with our allies and partners in order to improve uh, our position. And you could hardly have a better description, at least of, from the American perspective, of the rationale for office. And so I don't think that those things are going to fall away, despite our inevitable dysfunction when it comes to politics and bureaucracy and budgets and elections and, and everything else. I think uh, if you can count on anything, it's probably something exactly like this.
1: Yeah, well, I, look, I am someone who very much does think that uh, we can count on on the U.S. in part because of the... Uh, system strengths, uh, no matter what political changes happen, and it's uh, it would be a little bit hypocritical of uh, I think Australia or Alessio, uh, um where uh, Brits over the last few years, given how many prime ministers mm-hmm. that both our countries uh, have uh, have had. Lisa, do, do you agree
3: with Richard? No. I do. I think that the threat from China, you know, from a rising China, the increased competition this is recognized on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats alike. Um, so I think making the case that, you know, Australia's a close ally, it makes sense for them to have the capabilities they need to contribute to deterrence. I think that's a pretty easy case to make across the board. Hmm. I think where we have seen some pushback is over what's happening with the U.S.'s own defense industrial base and whether, uh, you know, it makes sense when we're having trouble producing nuclear powered subs at a rate that we would like to see for our own usage, you know, does this make sense? So I think the answer to that is to um, see that the U.S. uh, benefits by having our closest allies also have Robust defense industrial bases. You know, we've been saying for a long time that the U.S. um, needs the support of its allies. Uh, We cannot face down uh, the threats that we're seeing uh, by ourselves. We need to have the combined efforts and capabilities of our closest allies. So, this idea that You know, Australia is also investing in the U.S. defense industrial base. This is very important. Um, The U.S. will be, you know, um, assisting with technology that when we contribute to helping our allies improve their defense capabilities, we also see improvements to our own defense industrial base. And I think a case in point is what we're seeing in Ukraine. You know, the nobody could imagine how many munitions we're going through mm-hmm. and we need other countries to also be producing these important uh, munitions that are that are being used. So I think, you know, you can make the case uh, may not be as easy as just saying, you know, we have the China threat, but it's 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 deeper than that. It's yeah. yes, mm-hmm. we also need. To see our allies have strong defense industrial bases mm-hmm. and producing uh, these sophisticated technologies, um, and that that will help both of our countries in contributing to deterrence and uh, reducing the chances of you know a major conflict.
1: Yeah, it's um, I think a really important point, uh, Lisa, in terms of uh, what the US has uh, has put into supporting Ukraine from a resourcing mm-hmm. perspective has been. Uh, significant, phenomenal. Uh, the answer, though, is not to go and get into, it, in my view, a debate as to whether the US should do uh, less. It's how uh, do we uh, make sure allies and partners of the US uh, do uh, do more? Richard, you you wanted yeah. to make a point on Russia.
2: Well, I was just going to say, if AUKUS fails in all our part, it's very likely not to be not because someone opposes it, but because it was too hard. Because some aspect of this turned out to be too hard, mm. and this is where the the political will aspect of this really comes into play. But it's very expensive. Uh, it requires all kinds of changes to law, policy, regulation, uh, the way we uh, deal with each other as a matter of uh, culture uh, mm-hmm. and trust and so forth. And of course, the greatest change is going to be on the Australian side, uh, developing you know a full-blown capability to manage uh, nuclear power uh, for the purposes of these subs and things like that. That's a lot. That's, mm. that's a lot uh, to do in one big initiative. So um, I think that's where any potential danger are. not that someone will come out and say, oh, this is a terrible idea. I want to try to stop. Um,
4: just building on Richard's points, I think, you know, if I ask the question, is AUKUS ambitious? Of course it is. Is it risky? Incredibly so. But that's precisely why I think um, it faces, it presents questions to political leadership, particularly in countries like the UK and Australia which will force a certain strong position in the matter. You see, what is happening in the moment, and, and going back to a point that Lisa raised about Ukraine, Ukraine tells us also something else. You can be a um, medium-sized country like the UK and take a leadership role in Euro in tackling what has been the single most significant crisis of the last 70 years. That says something about how, and this is an important lesson for us, particularly from an Australia point of view, I would say, in terms of how we are starting to take a more sense of responsibility, not away from the United States, but from within that umbrella of trusted partnerships, and we take upon ourselves, in part, to raise our own game on how we make that contribution. Now what's the so that's 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 incredibly challenging if you want. But at the same time I think it will push political elites, regardless of the colour of the party they belong to. To continue to maintain that kind of strength because it rewards domestic politics to have leaders who have a clear position on the subject. And in that sense, that's where AUKUS has the greatest strength. Because let's face it, that's also one of the biggest bumper stickers, if you want, about AUKUS. Uh, by embracing a sense of greater sense of responsibility over it, you're also seeing something else about the fact that you can do that because there is a fundamental trust that is just not comparable when you look at our competitors who are held together by the grip of fear, by mistrust, and by a genuine willingness to upend the existing system without genuinely presenting a real alternative. That is very important in that regard.
1: Yeah, I I think there's uh, then general consensus uh, in the room here that uh, regardless of uh, the inevitable political changes. Uh, the will, as uh, you say, Richard, that is so vital uh, is definitely there because uh, across the board in the three countries, there is a recognition of why uh, AUKUS is so important. It, it's it's interesting for me that so much commentary back home in Australia is about why Australia wanted to form AUKUS. Um, uh, one of the most important aspects is actually why um, uh, the other countries and because why the US wanted AUKUS and for me, uh, Richard, Lisa, uh, it was a recognition that the threats to the global order um, cannot be countered by the US alone. And as um, the three of you have been talking about uh, have uh, said so so eloquently, that partnerships are required. Uh, what a committed Australia and UK gives is not just a capability boost, but a narrative corrective as well. Too often commentators, in, including uh, uh, me, refer to major power rivalry or great power rivalry. And... That actually favors uh, Beijing's view of the world because it enables Beijing to message that strategic competition is limited to a a US v China uh, issue or at times US v Russia uh, and enables Beijing uh, to message uh, uh, moral equivalency or whataboutism uh, that the US is holding China and the developing world uh, back. Uh, And it's a key reason, of course, why Beijing is targeting AUKUS so Mm. much. There is a real fear. Uh, within Beijing of a collective, they would far rather deal with individual countries. Uh, Richard, do you agree with that, that the US focus is now on what partnerships are necessary to to maintain that uh, global order and stability?
2: Yeah, I think the notion that uh, we cannot and should not try to do these things on our own is uh, pervasive and frankly, just obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, before you even get to the narrative, look at the capability issue. I mean, I started the conversation by talking about China's military modernization and the deterioration of the military balance in the Indo-Pacific. It would be nice to think the United States could, you know, conjure a way to fix that completely on its own through the right budgets and the right technologies and the right capabilities and all of these other things. But, you know, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier with our allies and partners uh, working with us. So from a capability perspective, that's a very real thing. And with AUKUS, you're talking about real iron in the water. Now, I know it's going to take a while, but if you fast forward to the mid-2030s, it'd be better to be in the mid-2030s with those subs than without those subs, Mm, right? That's the bottom line. Yes. So there's a real capability aspect of this. And then on the narrative issue, I think, you know, uh, the Chinese leadership, I believe, sees the united states as severable from some other power centers i don't know whether they see uh, australia severable anymore uh, mm. from the united states but i think they did in the not too distant past i they certainly have thought this of, of europe and, and probably have of, of the uk and i think what august demonstrates is uh, a united front of countries working together not just in opposition to china because ultimately this is about uh, maintaining the regional order in a way that lets all of our countries flourish, including China, but that we are committed to this and we're going to work in combination to deal with threats to that
4: order. If I may, just a, a quick a point here um, in practical terms, let's assume that by 2028, you have a nested class submarine with on board Australians, British, and American sailors. That presents three times the problem to Beijing. Than if you only have an American uh, submarine with American sailors on it. If you have an Australian sub with Australian sailors on it. That's a proof of concept for the UK. We tested it out with CSG-21, with the Carrier Strike Group, which included a Dutch frigate, It had the combined air armour with the USMC and, and Royal Navy. When you're putting together, still in the water, that represents a number of different flags, you are automatically raising the game. You're putting the ball in their courts and you're forcing Beijing. They have a very strong and, and sort of hard look in the mirror. Why that is possible to them, and it wouldn't be possible to me, that is a very important concept, which also goes against the, the criticism about arms raising. If you were arms raising, it would be a one-on-one action-reaction dynamics. This is a collective response, precisely because we don't see this as an individual American power politics problem. This is an international order problem, and it calls upon all actors that believe in it to act. Yeah, it's uh, it's a point I'd
1: like just to stick with uh, Lisa in terms of uh, a uh, a problem that relies that uh, requires all actors uh, to act as you say, uh, Alessio, Lisa. Straight after the Orca's announcement, uh, you wrote uh, that, uh, that that Orca's followed on the heels of Japan's pledges to enhance its own defence capabilities, including for counter purposes, uh, as well as an agreement for the United States to gain access to four additional military bases in the Philippines for logistics support and pre-positioning of military stocks. You said all these moves combined to send an unmistakable message that the United States and its allies are prepared to stand up to military aggression in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, AUKUS is often talked about uh, in a limited way to the three countries Can you talk us through how important it will be for AUKUS to have long-term success, particularly around Pillar 2, the advanced capabilities, to Mm -hmm. bring in other partners, uh, including uh, our quad partners, uh, India and Japan and others?
3: Yeah, I think you could think of AUKUS as the most important element to this concept of integrated deterrence that we have heard so much about from the President, the National Security Advisor, the the Secretary of Defense. This, uh, I like to refer to it as networked deterrence. Uh, This idea that yes, the US has uh, relationships with its allies and partners, uh, but it's also important that they have relationships and cooperation together. And you know, here I'm thinking about all the progress that's been made in the Australia-India relationship of late. We've we've heard a lot about increased cooperation between India and Japan as well. So I think you know it's really important. You have you know sort of AUKUS as you know the the, the pinnacle of that idea of integrated deterrence or networked deterrence, whatever you want to call it. Um, And it's not that on the pillar one, obviously the U.S. is not considering sharing this sensitive technology, nuclear powered submarines um, to other allies. But as you say, are there opportunities with the pillar two of AUKUS to bring in other countries uh, when it comes to uh, cooperation on advanced technologies? And we've already got to start with that, with the Quad. The Quad, of course, made up of uh, US, Australia, India and Japan. And one of the most important working groups of the Quad is the Working Group on Critical and Emerging Technologies. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes sense to think about how India and Japan will come into these discussions on advanced capabilities. It may not be... Every single capability that we're discussing with Australia and the UK, but uh, are there some areas that would facilitate a broader discussion of cooperation? And so I think we have to see, you know, the different pieces of the chessboard and what they are all doing together. And of course, uh, you mentioned in that quote also what the U.S. has accomplished with the Philippines in the last few months, and the U.S. will now. Have access to more military sites in that country for logistics for military stockpiling, so I think we we have to see AUKUS as you know maybe the umbrella or the most important aspect of this idea of network deterrence, but it's also important that we've seen the movement with uh, other countries in the region as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely right, and I think this week's meeting between the leaders of Japan and India really important. Uh, just a week or so ago, uh, really significant meetings between the uh, Prime Minister of Australia uh, and Prime Mm -hmm. Minister Modi. uh, And often uh, when uh, it is uh, those countries that are within the Quad, uh, within other groupings that are uh, so close to the US, but uh, dealing separately in those situations from the US is actually even more powerful because it's not can't be seen as well. That's just a, a grouping there with the US. So uh, this recent meeting between uh, Tokyo and and Delhi was vitally important. Uh, I, I want to um, uh, end with uh, a couple of rapid fire questions around for, uh, each of you uh, a challenge and or an opportunity around AUKUS. But um, one final question be, uh, allow uh, Alessio and Lisa to uh, to think about that while I ask uh, Richard about something that he's um said um, that he thinks is a um a broader issue around AUKUS uh, Richard you you wrote this uh, the intelligence relationship uh, among the three uh, so Australia uh, US and the UK is extraordinarily intimate with governments sharing information of the greatest sensitivity you said the same is not true of defence technology sharing which is subject to a thicket of policies, regulations, laws and international regimes that control the exchange of information, even among the closest allies. The aim of AUKUS, you said, was uh, to raise defence technology sharing to a level commensurate with the existing degree of intelligence cooperation. Can you tell us uh, whether you think that is now uh, happening? Uh, and uh, uh, if, uh, if you have a sense that we can push through, uh, as you describe, that thicket.
2: That's so well-written. Um, I have really nothing, <laughs> No, not, not, you know, I, I think, I think uh, there is not real movement yet, um, but that's the next immediate step here. I think there's a recognition of the problem, which, of course, is the first step in any of these kinds of things is understanding that we've got a problem. So uh, it really is an anomalous situation where uh, the level of intelligence sharing, for those even who have never served in government, probably have heard of the Five Eyes, and you're talking about three of the Five Eyes right here, and, uh, you know, the level of trust, the level of sensitivity of information they share is just astonishing. And then um, on the defense technology side, things that by any measure uh, are far less sensitive than things they share through intelligence channels are not shared. They can't be because we've mm-hmm. got all of these. Things. Um, it's complicated because it's not just one thing uh, that we're talking about here. Uh, there are ITAR regulations and there's uh, other kinds of export controls and their international regimes and their policies and all these other kinds of things that can quickly make one's head spin. But uh, removing those obstacles to establishing a trusted level of defense technology sharing that is basically equivalent to the level of intelligence sharing is got to be the way that this moves. And I think, especially on the U.S. side, I think that's a 2023 issue that has to be.
1: All right, mm. excellent. I'll uh, I'll let you have some extra thinking time around uh, um, the challenges and opportunities beyond that. But uh, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the five eyes. Uh, that uh, there is absolutely a uh, a role, notwithstanding um, the importance of AUKUS, and uh, as you said, mm. AUKUS can't fail. Uh, but other groupings, AUKUS is complementary. Whether it be the quad, five eyes, other other groupings around the world, uh, I, I do think your point, Richard, that. Uh, understanding that we actually had a problem was the first step, uh, and so often uh, our systems uh, didn't necessarily want to accept that we had a long-term uh, systemic problem. So I think we've we we have done that now. We've understood we've had, we've got a problem, and we're on our way to trying to work out uh, how to solve it together. So Alessio, to to you first, a a challenge and uh, or a, an opportunity. You can either uh, go with one or
4: both. I'll, uh, very quickly, i go with both. Um, human capital, uh, from a UK perspective, building the capital of individuals uh, from a career perspective will be able to see through the development and implementation of AUKUS over the next decades i think that's that's a challenge we don't really have a systematic way to have an indo pacific expertise bond together with a thematic expertise an opportunity an opportunity completely shifts gear on our industrial capacity particularly when it comes to the uh, very sensitive area of submarine building that is an opportunity because we we'll recognize that we have a problem and um, we certainly know from the experience of vanga that to to astutes that we don't want to be in the same situation and so in that sense Whereas many see the industrial capacity as an issue, I see it as an opportunity because we know exactly where the problem is and there is a willingness to want to address that. Excellent. Lisa? Uh,
3: Well, opportunity, it's obvious. We have an opportunity to show what allies can accomplish together. We can show that allies can actually increase their own security. They can increase deterrence when they are working together. The challenge, I think, is to explain what AUKUS is, what it will accomplish for the Indo-Pacific region, you know, for the nations that are in the Indo-Pacific region. China is pushing a narrative that AUKUS is raising pro- proliferation risks, for example. So I think there there has to be a really conscious effort to explain what AUKUS is, what it's not, and to explain how. In fact, AUKUS can strengthen the non-proliferation system because it will raise the bar on uh, regulations. It will demonstrate Australia's full cooperation with the IAEA. Um, it will show, you know, Australia is not enriching uranium. It's, it's not going to be a, a proliferation risk. Mm. Um, but I think it is incumbent on all three of our nations to over-explain what AUKUS mm-hmm. is because frankly Chinese and Russian propaganda is already happening and it's it's going to go into overdrive because these nations are are threatened by AUKUS you know they're going to do everything they can mm-hmm. to try to destroy the opportunity for for AUKUS to to come to fruition so i think th- this is one of the biggest risks that we face is explaining why AUKUS is stabilizing why it's providing security, why it's not a proliferation risk. And in fact, in the long run, it will preserve stability, the rules-based order, and reduce the risk of nuclear proliferation.
1: Uh, Really well said. Uh, Having to uh, explain AUKUS is, uh, I think, a great way uh, to cover both risks and opportunity. uh, The risk of not explaining and not getting the message across opportunity of explaining to ensure there is that social mm-hmm. license to do what we need to do to uh, invest over a long period of time a lot of resources across the three countries uh, into this uh, endeavor uh, richard
2: challenges and opportunities i think the challenge is that there's a lot of things that have to go right for us to succeed and if any one even medium-sized thing goes wrong mm-hmm. it's gonna be very very difficult uh mm-hmm. you can imagine a dozen different choke points along the way related to money, the development of expertise in Australia, the human capital side, mm. uh, political will in all three countries, uh, industrial production levels, mm. and engineering problems, things aren't working out as planned. I mean, you can go on and on, and you got to get basically all of those things right and moving in the right direction. That's a big, ambitious mm. challenge to be done, but it's big. So that's the challenge. I think the opportunity, though, is, look, you, you know, one thing that I think unites the three countries is a desire to see the preservation of the regional order. The regional order doesn't exist as an abstract, platonic kind of form hanging out there. It's built on top of a regional military balance. The regional military balance is shifted in the direction opposite to which we would like to see it. So the only way to start shifting it back is to combine our capabilities, our industrial production, and our technology basis. AUKUS is a big effort to do precisely that mm. uh, with the three countries in the world that have the greatest level of trust on these issues. If they can succeed in this, it becomes a template for a lot more of this with other countries, with other yeah. projects, maybe even in other regions. If we don't, then I go back to challenge number one.
4: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I I, uh, I completely agree. Uh, I think it's a it is a a great way to uh, to finish. For, for for me, we need to ensure that our Countries are looking at this as a whole-of-nation endeavour, whole-of-nation enterprise. Governments often do work well with other governments. Uh, what we need here, uh, both the challenge and the opportunity, is for governments to work with industry uh, and with civil society, like our great institutions, uh, to ensure that we're all moving uh, with the same goals, the same objectives. Alessio from uh, the Centre of uh, Grand Strategy at King's College, uh, London. Richard and Lisa from CNAS. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend time with you in your offices here in Washington, D.C., Richard is uh, um, just picking up a, a paper airplane that uh, Alessio has been able to yeah, uh, create. Personally, as a commentary
2: yeah. on the interest or lack thereof you have in our comments <laughs> that think making a paper <laughs> airplane while we were talking. But anyways I, I
1: think it's, I, uh, I, I it's uh, uh, Alessio's point is that we're dealing with more than just submarines
4: exactly. uh, here. I mean, it, it, you know, you see, you, you, this is the Global Combat <laughs> Data Program. So sorry, I, I needed to balance this off. But <laughs> <laughs> That's the next one. That's, That's the, the next Stay tuned for part two. Uh, Thanks very much all. Thank Thank you. 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 Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more policy guns and money.